Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. Because we, I would argue, really, since Keating haven't had a treasure who takes the time or has the skills to explain the economic story, the budget becomes this sideshow alley of winners or losers or whatever, you know, the marketing maestros want it to be each year, but it is a bit devoid of context. Hi, I'm Paul Carp, Guardian Australia's Chief Political Correspondent. I'm here with Peter Lewis, the Executive Director at Essential. We're discussing the latest results of the Guardian Essential poll. It's the week before budget and we've had strong responses that indicate a lot of expectation or hope for further changes to JobSeeker and greater cost of living relief next week in the budget. Hello, Peter. Thanks for joining us. G'day, Paul. Now, the poll was in the field 26 to 30 April, and that was the same time that the Albanese government was grappling with demands from its own MPs to raise the rate of job seeker after its poverty experts told the government that they wanted a substantial increase in the seriously inadequate payment. Uh, what did the poll find in terms of whether respondents agreed that the payment should go up? So we've got about 50% support for increasing. That's split sort of 50-50 between strongly support or somewhat support. And then we've got about 30% of people opposing, the rest of people sitting on the fence. So it's not an unpopular measure. Um, It's not people overwhelmingly endorsing it, but that is a bare majority. Interestingly, amongst Labor voters, the, the support level is higher. It's up to 55 with 22 opposing. And then amongst Greens, it's um, significantly higher. It's up at 69, if I can add up today, with about 18% opposing. So if Labor voters want it, if it just creeps up to 50% of uh, voters overall wanting it, I guess the poll suggests that JobSeeker is tough to move because it's expensive, not, not because it's unpopular. I think that's right. I think that we also saw during the lockdown that there is good politics in providing support to those most vulnerable. And I don't think even those that are pushing back of that inside the government would deny that. It's just um, a game of priorities. And as we have discussed, this is a government that inherited some significant financial commitments, both in terms of tax cuts and national security that were proposed by the former government. They made the decision they didn't want to fight elections on those issues and now they're part of the budget. I I argue today in um, my Guardian piece that one of the themes I think running through this budget is regret. 
um, not regret for the decisions made, but for the implications of those decisions now. I think if you talk to people inside the government, most of those that have portfolios are not being able to do all they would have liked. And there are serious constraints at a time when they know that inflation is still a real risk and it is the ultimate tax on poor people. Uh, And you asked the job seeker question two different ways. Did that make any difference to how people felt about it or was it all about the same? No, we were trying to be a bit tricky and we did what we call a split sample. So we we poll about a thousand people every week, ABS weighted, but sometimes if we're interested in how a message is going to play out, we might change the wording on one group to the other and see if it materially moves the response, which is sort of all about framing. So we asked half the group a straight question of whether they support or oppose raising the rate of job seeker. And then we, with the second half, we linked that to managing cost of living pressures and made no difference. It was basically within margin of error. I think it was 50% support on when cost of living was woven in and 48 or 49 when it wasn't in. So did not move the needle at all, but allowed you to neatly aggregate those two findings to say quite confidently that half of all Australians would support an increase in the job seeker. Fair enough. Uh, And since the poll was in the field, we think we've confirmed that the government is looking to target any increase at JobSeeker just for the over 55. So I guess we'll be back in the field uh, at a time when we we know what the total cost of living package is. Is it rent assistance for everyone uh, or is it like the base rate only going to be for a certain cohort? And you might get some some quite... Baby uh, boomers first. (laughs) I'm expecting you'll get some very aggro uh, results about that from people uh, depending on what side of the line they fall on. Well, we can't predict the future, but we do know that at the moment, the straight question of increasing job seeker, it is more warmly embraced by older people than younger people, which I think is really interesting. Ah, because they're staring down long-term unemployment or know how hard it is to get back into the job market. Potentially, like obviously the problem with a poll is you can't then go and ask the follow-up question. That's why we do focus groups or other forms of, of deep dive research as well, but we haven't on this occasion. No worries. Well, let's. what are people expecting from the budget and do people know enough or is it a big unknown unknown uh, for poll respondents? Yeah, so look... We had a bit of fun this week because one of my questions was how financially literate is Australia? And like one of my jumping off points was Paul Keating's little um, intrusion into the public debate the other week reminded me of a time when there was real cut through messaging and the way he managed the economy as treasurer and marshalled through significant economic reform by telling a story. I was interested in whether we could gauge the financial literacy of Australians. And we basically asked all our respondents this week eight really sort of pretty basic questions, four of them true, four of them false, about the budget randomised it and then gave everyone a score. So it was almost like pub trivia for the Essential Report this week. And if people want to test how they are, they can actually go um, onto our site, essentialreport.com.au, and have a crack for themselves. So, for instance, as far as you're aware, does the upcoming budget set the current level of national debt or surplus? If you said yes, you would have got one point. We also said that the budget would... um, set the total amount of tax you'll pay in the next financial year, which isn't right, although 26% of people said it was. But what we got at the end of this was 
a really interesting split generationally in what I would call the financial literacy of the population. So what we have is if you are over 55, 34% of you got seven or eight out of eight. So we will call you high knowledge voters. If you're under 35, only 5% got seven or eight of our budget questions correct. Um, Overall, 20% of people are high knowledge voters, 33% we'd call average knowledge. They got five or six of these easy questions out of eight, 23% low knowledge, zero to four, they failed. And then 25% said, I don't know anything and just passed on the question. So about half the population would fail the basic budget test if I was king of the world, which I'm not, thank goodness. Um, So what does that say? The other really interesting thing there was we asked people how much they know about the budget. And if you said you know a lot, you are more likely to be a low low knowledge voter than a high knowledge voter. So people also um, overestimated. The Dunning-Kruger effect. It's the the more you think you know, the less you actually know. Ain't that the truth, as two guys talking about polling on a political podcast would say. But, you know, this is an exercise in Socratic wisdom. We know we know nothing and we're just asking the right questions. So... um, So short version, most people don't really know what the budget is or what it does, even though it dominates our political debate for a week. If you ask people, do you think the government should spend more or less on different issues, they'll say yes, they should spend more of everything. If you ask people, should they (laughs) charge higher or lower taxes, they think it should be lower taxes on everything except multinational corporations, if only it was so easy. Um, I was surprised by that finding, Peter, because uh, there were separate polls a a while ago about the super changes that were hitting earnings on balances over three million, and that was quite a a popular measure. But when uh, when you asked in general, are taxes too high or too low on super and savings? It was it was almost fifty percent that said that they were too high. So obviously, uh, people interpreted that to mean not on the super rich, but on my super, and they reacted quite violently to that. Absolutely. Um, you know, 46% think that income tax is too high. 48% property taxes are too high, like single figures saying it's too low. 34% GST too high, 6% thinking it's too low. So even on oil and gas, it's only 29% think it's too high, 29% too low. So you end up in this world where Because we, you know, I would argue really since Keating haven't had a treasurer who takes the time or has the skills to explain the economic story, the budget becomes this sideshow alley of winners or losers or whatever, it's back in black or whatever the, you know, the marketing maestros want it to be each year, but it is a bit devoid of context. And that's a pity because, you know, if the big story of this budget, as I said before, on one level, it's um, a budget that is um, grounded in regret of decisions made, but also it is the budget that is dealing with a once in a century pandemic. It's being put together by a government who in opposition was talking about building back better and not just replaying the old neoliberal stories, but in power, there are such constraints on them that they'll struggle to pull something bigger into the public consciousness. Now, that's not to say that Chalmers won't give it a try, and he's a very strong communicator. He's been describing his economic 
agenda with his three R's, which is rebuilding supply lines, reducing costs by energy reform, childcare reform, and also relieving debt. I don't think all that last R right, but you know where I'm going from there. There were three R's anyway. Um, What I would say is that in areas like funding childcare, there is the germ of that economic story because it is not just a handout. It is paying money to educate our next generation, um, which we know leads to better long-term outcomes while getting parents back into the workplace quicker because the cost of childcare isn't so prohibitive. So that is the kind of systemic reform that you can wrap a story around. It'd be interesting to see whether those storylines can land in the context of the noisy cartoon capers that federal budgets have become. The other thing I was going to say is that although people thought the spending was too low, you can also compare uh, those relative to each other. So health had the biggest gap between too low and too high with 56% thinking it was too low and 8% thinking too high. To pick another one more out of um, the middle of the bunch, social security and welfare, 38% too low, 17% too high. So although it's still more that would prefer to spend more, you can tell that that is relatively less popular than than health. And again, if folks want to have a look at this, because there's a lot of information we're putting here on the essential site, you can see that it is still people's reflexes spend more on health and education and then it goes down the list from there. Um, One exception, though, was defence and national security, which just over a quarter thought spending was too high, so 26%, and those who said too low was 18%. Yeah, that was when it was getting close to a line ball decision. But it's very interesting because, uh, you know, the AUKUS submarine announcement and then the Defence Strategic Review, there is this bipartisan position between the Coalition and Labor at the moment that it's, it's, folks, it's going up. It's a dangerous world. We're going to be spending more. But that's the one that people weren't necessarily on board with. And, you know, I still don't think that has been totally explained and sold to the Australian public. And again, it'll be interesting to see how it's done. And again, going back to Keating's intervention, which I know we spoke about a few weeks ago, for all its coarseness and its discomfort for the gallery, it did force people to start asking questions in a slightly more searching way. I'm still not sure if these numbers suggest that the imperative of massive increased spending that is embedded in that agreement doesn't have widespread public support, but um, we'll see how much of the budget story that is as well. The final thing I'd say is we, we did what we also do, which is a forced choice, where we give people two options and they can't opt out. Um, basically, the government should prioritise providing support for people in industry struggling to manage rising cost of living over the reduction of national debt versus the government should prioritise the reduction of national debt by cutting public spending for services or increasing revenue through taxes. 78.22 want us to be providing support for people in industries that are struggling. So... The public will at the moment is not rushing to see a deficit reined in or anything. It's to see the spending going where it's needed. And I was just going to go to the final uh, check on how much do you actually know about the budget? Do people know who Jim Chalmers is? Knowledge of current treasurer. Um, 33% either say they know him and answered yes when we actually asked them to fill in the name. Um 67 or two-thirds 
majority of those, I think it was about 58, didn't know him. There was about 10% that said they did know him but put in Josh Frydenberg or some other form of gibberish when we asked to name them. So we just didn't say, do you know who it is? We made them put the name in an open ender. But the approval of our treasurer, Jim Chalmers, ain't bad. 41s approve, um, 27 disapprove, which is kind of, I think, on par with where the Prime Minister was when we asked last time. And um, and it was people that knew Jim who, who thought he was doing well, wasn't it? It wasn't thankfully, the more tuned out you are, the, yeah. the happier you are. Yeah, if the only people that like you don't know who you are, then you're probably in the wrong business, I guess. So, yeah, that would be a gratifying result as well. Yeah, and look... You know, again, he's at the beginning of his career in the spotlight with his big nights. There was a budget of sorts, but I don't think even you guys considered a fully-fledged budget the first one at the end of last year, but this is his first sort of big May budget coming in in winter where, you know, all roads lead to Canberra for a week or two. Uh, and you were making comparisons with how the Treasurer does against the, the PM. So turning to the uh, the approval ratings for Anthony Albanese, it looks like the honeymoon continues. Yeah, you know, he's so this is our, we ask people to rate out of 10. If you get more than seven, it's considered positive, four to six neutral, zero to three negative, 41 positive, 24 negative. So it is basically a mirror image of where um, Jim Chalmers is. So that's interesting. I'm using a different measure, obviously. Less good news for um, the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, who's down from 26 to 23 approval. Um, His negatives are up to 34. Very few people don't know who they are, Dutton and and Albanese. Is is that right? Or well, you know, 3% never heard of uh, Dutton. He's been around a while. 4% for Albanese. They haven't been following Kyle Sanderland's wedding, have they? <laughs> so uh, if Jim Chalmers and Anthony Albanese are doing about the same, do you think people just rate how the government is doing generally and don't distinguish the performance of people in their individual roles? Or what do you think What do you think's going on? Yeah, I think that is a key um, finding. There are some rusted on refuseniks for any form of Labor government and it's a smaller base than it may have been in the past where we had a more defined two-party system. 40% approved, 20% neutral. When we were asking... Um, approve, disapprove in the previous cycle is still over 50% approval. So, look, I think the government as a whole, we are coming up to our one-year anniversary. We will be asking a series of retrospectives next week and trying to really get our head around what the government's achieved and who they've achieved it for next week, which will be straight after the budget. Um, You'd still be looking at these polls if you're Labor saying, you know, we're in a difficult financial situation. The economy is putting real pressure on people. We've got real pressure on our budget. We've inherited a whole bunch of promises we made and we're still doing okay. So I think it is fair to say the government at the end of the first year is on fairly solid ground, but let's dig a bit deeper next week and see where whether, whether that instinct is, is reinforced by the feedback from the public. I saw that uh, the proportion of people who said the country was going in the right direction is 41%, and the proportion of people that had positive views about how Anthony Albanese is doing his job 
were forty one percent. Are they are they largely the same people, or do we do we know do 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 we know if they're the same people? I am quickly looking. What I can tell you is Labor voters say that we are going in the right direction. 60 to 21 coalition voters reckon we're going to hell in a handbasket, 48 to 32. And the minor parties are even worse, 57, 27. So there is a little bit of a partisan divide on that. Um, Right direction, wrong direction. If you're younger, you're more upbeat, 48, 31. Older people, it's 41, 38, negative. Um, and Just a good time to be alive. Good time to be Australian. And blokes think it's going better than 45-40 men, 37-37 for the fair agenda. Oh, I wonder, I wonder why that is. Again, we can only dig, we can only dig deeper. Cheaper childcare doesn't kick in until until the middle of the year, maybe. Well, I th- the the other thing that that has been coming through is when we are we've got a series of economic well being questions we ask, and women and particularly older women are the cohort who are feeling the most financial pressure at the moment, and often they are hidden from the public narratives. But um, yeah, there is a whole bunch of policy issues, including. New start and housing and superannuation and just about anything that you put in your budget policy kickback that will have specific impact on vulnerable older women and maybe that's another storyline that needs to be sort of interrogated more deeply. Yes, we have noted disadvantage is uh, is particularly bad. Homelessness, all all those indicators of poverty for over fifty fives uh, and over fifty five women, um, and I think that's going to be. The story that the government tells about the job seeker increase is to try and focus on them as the uh, most needy cohort rather than the people below 55 that needed the payment to help them try and get back into work. Um, They'll try and keep the focus just on the beneficiaries of that. Was there a gender difference in terms of uh, the perceptions of the leaders? Um, There are very few women in Australia that approve of... No, 21% female approve of Peter Dutton um, versus 26 men, 37 approve of Anthony Albanese as opposed to 46 men. So there are more that are in the undecided camp and obviously also more that are rating those two negatively. So they're significant differences. But, you know, it's the bloke's economy. I also spotted that only half or 50% of coalition voters rated Dutton positively, which seems on the low side that it's usually it's usually in uh, majority. Maybe some liberal moderates cranky about uh, the position on the voice, or nothing succeeds like success, and they're cranky they lost a safe seat in Aston, or I don't know what's going on. I want to meet the nine percent of green voters that like what they see when they see Peter Dutton. They'd be some interesting characters. Wonder if there's many Guardian readers there. Well, I mean, if you like a tough Queensland cop, but you also uh, hate airport noise in inner city Brisbane, uh, also the Greens attract a sort of protest vote. So maybe there's some synergy between an opposition leader and a protest vote. Oh, and maybe that's his dividend for going hard no on The Voice. Uh, He's got yes, a the, few greens. The progressive nose uh, warming to uh, Peter Dutton's. The line becomes a circle. The line becomes a circle. It always does. Oh, well, should we end on that note on horseshoe theory with wild theories about why a few greens <laughs> might like Peter Dutton or any yeah. any other contributions? No, no, I just want to I, I go 
much further down that path at some stage in the future. Um, look, people defy stereotypes and the whole purpose of running these polls is just to get a, a sense of the bizarre patchwork that is our body politic and um, our relationship with it. So thank you, Green voters that like Peter Dutton. That made my day. Coming back from uh, marginal seats and talking to voters around election time, I talk about how sort of granular and crunchy all the information uh, you get is with all these counterintuitive opinions. And then you see on election night, it all sort of smoothed out into these grand narratives that elide all these differences in people's opinions. So It always looks so clear in the rearview mirror. So, so thank you for getting into the crunch and for finding out what people think, uh, no matter how counterintuitive. We love you for it. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Pleasure, Paul. This episode was produced by Mel Chun. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.